Welcome to FSP Talks, brought to you by the Society of FSP and FSP Go. Hello, and welcome to FSP Talks, a new podcast series brought to you by the Society of Financial Service Professionals and FSPGo.com. I'm David Mayola, CEO of FSP, and I will be your host. FSP Talks will bring together influential leaders in the financial services industry to discuss their careers, leadership, and business. With us today is Jim Awesome, the shareholder of Cavich, Samalo, and Durkin LPA in Cleveland, Ohio, a member of its board of directors and chair of the business practice group. Jim's practice is focused on mergers and acquisitions, as well as succession planning and estates and trusts. Jim was FSP's 90th president and is familiar to many as a frequent speaker at FSP national and chapter events. Jim, welcome to FSP Talks. Thank you, David. All right, thank you, Jim. Let's get started. I have a few questions here that, I, that I'm going to ask you and uh, ask you to give us your impression here. Uh, number one, when you're considering partnering with another person or business, what factors are deal breakers for you? The primary factor, certainly in a professional services organization like my law firm, is the culture. Um, if the cultures don't align, it's probably not going to work very well. You can put together the numbers at the top line. You can, you can take a look at the, um, the hourly rates and go ahead and say they're, they're commensurate with ours, and so therefore clients won't be in for sticker shock if we put the two firms together. But if that firm that you're merging with has a culture of 1,250 chargeable hours a year, and your firm is 2,000 chargeable hours a year, and you're hard chargers, and they're not, and they're in kind of the semi-retirement mode, those cultures are not going to blend together well. Um, so you need to look at that aspect, and sometimes the only way to figure that out is to drill down and say, well, our average partner may be doing 1,250 chargeable hours a year at uh, $400 an hour, but our guys are doing 1,750 to 2,000, and if the guys who are doing 1,250 want to be paid the same amount as the guys doing almost 2,000, we know those two cultures are not going to work. <laughs> so it's best yeah, to walk no, that, away that, from that. That makes a lot of, of sense. And, and, you know, culture is, is an important aspect of any, any business, whether it's a law firm or any other organization or, or company. Are there other things about culture aside? I mean, the, obviously the billing is, is very important. Are there other things that, that make a firm a better cultural fit than another? And, and if so, uh, what, what's your experience? Well, I think what makes a good cultural fit is if the clientele is similar. For example, if you're merging with a mega firm that represents public companies and your entire practice has been representing closely held uh, or family businesses, those two cultures don't work together either. Um, because in my instance, for example, my client owns the company. If you're representing public companies, you're dealing with in-house general counsel who, who um, is not a shareholder per se in a, in, in a controlling sense. So you have to be careful there, too. So the, the way to really get the cultural element on the table is to take a look at, one, the makeup of the attorneys, but, two, also, who are you representing? And if you're used to representing closely held business owners, whether you're an attorney, a CPA, or a financial planner, and now all of a sudden you're going from talking about the issues that, that – are prevalent in a closely held family enterprises versus the issues that arise in a public company representation. Those are two different cultures. I was 
just mentioning this morning that I was in court on a temporary restraining order because family business, the family business is at odds. There's three equal owners now, one of whom is a widow of one of the um, uh, sons who inherited the business from their father, and the other brother is not active in the business, but they own two-thirds of the stock. And they were trying to pull something that was going to cause significant impact upon the company um, because they could, because they own 66 and two-thirds percent of the stock. So we were able to get a temporary restraining order to prevent that from happening. That's the kind of thing you wouldn't see very often in a public company representation. Right. So, again, yeah, the best way to get your arms around culture is the clients. Who are you representing, and can you do it well? Yeah, I think that's – I agree. I think that's key. If the cultures don't align, there may be a lot of good financial reasons and other reasons to merge, but uh, uh, if the cultures don't align, it, it can be trouble down the road. Um, Absolutely. Having said that, how do you keep uh, your employees or your team members motivated uh, you know, whether whether it's uh, a merger partner situation like this or otherwise, what, what kinds of things do you do to keep your, your people motivated? I'm smiling, David, because uh, a judge said this this morning in our hearing. He said, it's really about the money, isn't it? You you want to be bought out and you just don't like the price. <laughs> and the, the bottom line is always if I don't compensate my partners, my junior partners, my associates, my paralegals well, they will go someplace else. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. you, you have to be profitable enough to keep them interested because ultimately they love what they do. But if they're not well compensated, which means that they're not, therefore, in their mind, respected, they will move on. So you've got to pay them well, and you've got to be working at that, and you've got to make sure you're competitive. Now, the surveys will tell you that people don't place their, their compensation as the number one priority. They place you know, satisfaction with their work environment, what the kind of work they're doing, et cetera. I agree with all of that, okay? And they could be as happy as a clam, but if they're underpaid, they're not going to stick with you. So you've got to oh, find I agree. And, them well. Yeah. And, and the, yeah. the same is true uh, looking at it the other way. Um, if they'll, they'll tolerate, as you say, there are a lot of these other factors that go into whether people stay in the job. They'll tolerate a lot of things if they're being overpaid or if they're being highly compensated that they might not tolerate otherwise. But uh, so it's, it's a tough balance. Um, yep. Yep. Jim, you've been in a lot of leadership positions, either uh, both volunteer positions with FSP and, and in your firm. Uh, what do you think are some qualities that are lacking uh, among today's leaders? Well, I, I guess I'm seeing foresight. What, what's going to happen in the future? What are you doing to prepare for it? We, we have a culture right now, at least in a lot of areas, where everything is instant. You know, and, and we're thinking about next week because it's instant. Well, I, I've got to think about where the firm is going to be five years from now because I've got some senior people who are going to theoretically be retiring. How, how am I going to make that work? So I, I think, you know, insight into the future and how you plan for the future and actual sitting down and doing some planning. seems like so many people just like to do things ad hoc right now, and I think that um, that scares me. But things do change, and you've got to be very, very flexible. So yeah. I think it's, one, planning, and two, being willing to change your plans to adapt to what's going on. For example, just think what your business plans were like in January, and then all of a sudden what happened in March? COVID hit, right? Yeah. <laughs> Everything Oh, changed. absolutely. Yeah. So you've got to have if flexibility. You're not flexible, you have to be able to adjust to, to whatever's coming down the road. And uh, I think that even when you put a business plan together or put together a strategic plan in an organization, if that isn't flexible, 
and and that that isn't you can't just stick to that regardless of what's going on you've got to uh, be able to look at your plan and look at the outside environment and figure out what the best way to go is. Um, yeah, Jim, what are some of your current goals, uh, professional goals or your firm's goals um, in 2020? Well, in 2020 and 2021, for example, we're looking to expand some of our geography for the first time. Uh, I love Cleveland, Ohio. It's one of my favorite places. I've been here my entire career, but our population base is not growing. Um, and if you get a, a new client, usually you're getting it because you're taking it away from somebody else. Um, so we are looking strongly and been negotiating with, and I have a conference call tomorrow on a potential operation we would, we would merge with. We'd really be acquiring as a small firm in Florida. Um, we have a lot of clients who are now Florida residents. Florida has a very uh, comfortable and, and beneficial tax environment as they have no income tax. So we do a lot of mergers and acquisitions. So if you can eliminate one layer of tax on a transaction, that puts a lot of money in your client's pockets and therefore helps build our firm. So we're looking toward um, how, to, how to expand our geography and then how to bring in the next generation. David, you'll, you'll probably cognizant of the fact that there's a lot of baby boomers, of which I am one, and then in a lot of professional service organizations, there's kind of a gap, you know, from about 45 to 60. There's not as many people. And, and all of a sudden, then the baby boomers are retired, and there's a gap. So we've got to work around that. Yeah. And we also have to find a way to get the baby boomers out of the way. <laughs> a lot of them are sticking around, <laughs> yeah. and they're still they're still doing things that the younger guys probably could do. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Um, Jim, just to go back a minute, when we were talking about uh, some employees uh, and uh, their compensation and so forth, what are some of the things that especially in a law firm like yours, what, what do you consider before you promote someone uh, within the firm? Well, there's an old saying in our business, you know, that you have to perform like a partner or a shareholder before you make you one. If somebody is not performing well, which means they're not generating clients, they're not working hard, they're not doing the right things, why well, make them a shareholder and then expect them to change? So you, mm-hmm. you've got to go ahead and say, what is your ideal um, shareholder partner look like? Can you trust him or her implicitly, unconditionally? Do they work hard? Are they bright? We're in the business of making sure you get it right. If you get it wrong, everybody gets in trouble. So you look for those qualities, and then you finally say, is this person going to work hard enough that we'll both do well? Two and two will make five versus four. And if they're not currently doing that, that's uh, my wife will tell you, you know, when she talk about her friends, don't marry the person think you're going to change them because you're not. They are who they are. Yeah. <laughs> don't make somebody who's an associate a partner who never has acted like a partner. <laughs> yeah. So, no. Yeah. They, they, you know, know, you'll always hear HR people say, if you, if you want to be promoted into a position, you've got to act like you're in that position already and uh, exactly. show that you can handle it. So that's, I'm sure that that's very true with a, a partner associate situation in the law firm as well. Um, we've been talking a lot about, about leadership and uh, some of the things that you think are important and so forth. And uh, what kinds of things, you know, you're a leader in your law firm. What, what are some of the more important decisions that you make as a leader for your firm every day? People. This is the, con- the, the absolute people business, whether it be associates, paralegals, who you pick as your partner, who you pick as your assistant, um, and then the clients you pick. Some clients you don't want. 
So this is the ultimate people business, and you've got to have good people. You've got to manage and incentivize those good people, and then when they have problems, support them. We have a, a, yep. a new attorney joining us, and his father tragically just died of COVID. So we've 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 suggested to him that he not take the bar exam next week, that he wait till February, um, because he can you know deal with it, focus better, that sort of thing. There are certain priorities you have to put on something, and that was the priority we're putting on this. You know, do what you need to do, and we'll support you all the way. And that's what you yeah. need to do. You uh, have to be flexible. Yeah, yeah. And, and to follow up on that, what is the characteristic uh, that you think, and maybe it's flexibility, maybe it's something else, that you think every leader should possess? Um, the, the absolute knowledge that he's, he or she is not the smartest person in the room. <laughs> okay. I remember Steve Parrish, who is a brilliant guy. Now he's a professor. He was on the FSP board with me. And he is one of the smartest guys who's ever been in the room as far as I'm concerned. But after being at the board level for many, many years, he decided, I'm not the smartest guy in the room. And when you figure out you're not the smartest guy in the room, what that means is you're going to listen and you're going to learn. Because too many people sit in the room thinking, well, I can respond to that, or they want to knock it down, or they want to shoot it down. No, you got to sit and listen and, and, and realize that everybody's got a good idea. Nobody's got a monopoly on good ideas. And I, sometimes when we used to negotiate in person, lawyers would continue to rabble on after we'd already agreed with them because they weren't listening. Yeah. <laughs> okay. no, I, so, you know, I, I, I couldn't agree with you more, Jim. I, 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 think, I, I think that that is key for any leader and so many leaders just don't don't understand that I, you know I, I often will say if i know more about hr than the hr director of my organization there's something wrong my exactly. hr director needs to be the, the expert in hr and i need to take their advice right, right. exactly what is um we're following following up on leadership and and what what's a good leader what makes a not so good leader what what is a mistake that you see leaders making more frequently than others? And it could be this well, one where they think they're the smartest person in the room all the time, right? Yeah, the fact that too many times they simply don't listen. And, 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 and you need facts to make intelligent decisions. And I like to think of myself as an educator. And, and if you've heard me speak at some of these seminars, that's what I pride myself on, the ability to communicate complex issues. And I, as I tell my young lawyers, if you can't explain it to your grandmother, uh, so that she can understand it, maybe you don't understand it. And I think sometimes people use buzzwords and they gloss over things and they expect their audience to be at the same level they are. But that's not true. You can't motivate somebody to do something effectively unless they understand what they're doing and why they're doing it. You know, yeah. there's, there's another analogy in business, too, about keeping score. There's a book called The um, Game of Business. And it says that if you watch basketball teams run up and down the court, for 45 minutes and no one bothered to keep score after about 10 minutes you'd lose interest so if you're running a business and you're motivated your people you have to give them an, a, a some kind of measurement to say are they doing a good job a bad job a fair job what do they need to do to improve and too often nobody gives any feedback and that's a big problem yeah. because people just don't know if they're doing a good job or a bad job yeah no that's a good point what advice would you give somebody who was uh, perhaps moving into their first leadership role um in a, in a company business law firm uh, that, you, that, that served you well? Talking to the people that you're replacing or have been there before, 
get some perspective on it. I know when I um, was being uh, asked to serve on the FSP board, I met with Ann Hartman. Ann Hartman um, is in the Toledo, uh, Toledo, Ohio, which is not far from where I live and work. And she was an instrumental in the Toledo chapter and was in fact the national president of FSP at one time. So she knew 10 times more than I knew about that whole situation. I had never been on the national board and never involved in a national, at the national level of FSP. And it was a tremendous advantage having spoken with her because I had some idea what to expect. Mm -hmm. What do you do, Jim, to ensure that uh, you yourself continue to uh, grow and change? We talked about being flexible a little earlier, but, but what is it that you can do to ensure that you continue to grow and develop as a leader? Well, I, it's example, when I went and talked with Ann, I was asked to serve on the national board. And so I continued to volunteer and get myself involved in situations that are a little bit of a challenge um, because you have to stretch yourself a little bit, I think, to be an effective leader. And you have to stretch yourself a little bit to find out what the effective leaders are doing so you can emulate them. So I, I think you have to stay involved. There's no substitution for for participation. Okay. It's not a spectator sport. You've got to get involved. And I had lunch today with a young man we're theoretically going to hire. And he said, how does you get clients? How do you do things? I said, well, if you're going to volunteer for something at any level, make sure you do a good job. Because if you do a good job, you may get a client out of it and they may refer you to someone. I guarantee you, if you do a bad job, they'll tell everybody what a schmuck you are. So don't get involved <laughs> unless you're going to really do a good job. Just don't bother to do it because it actually could come back and be be a, a real a real disappointment for you yeah. and a mark on your character. We all know that the 2020 has been just a crazy bizarre year and we're not even not even through yet. It seems like it's been 2 years already, but what kinds of things um aside from what we're all facing right now with this this pandemic and so forth, what kinds of things are you most afraid of regarding the future success uh your business? Um, the the geography um, and the economic conditions that we can't control. Right? Um, business people like to be in control, and COVID demonstrated that if you don't have the ability to turn your business quickly, you could be devastated. And um, and the businesses that have been able to switch from this to that, and and create a demand for their new product, because uh, the product they were making before is no longer in demand. For example. Um, if you're a supplier to restaurants, if you're a supplier to hotels, the travel industry, if you haven't found a new product or a new distribution network, you are struggling. So you've got to be flexible and you've got to have the ability to develop a new products, new services, and in our particular case, maybe new geography. And we have to um, see whether we can find some very talented people who perhaps in this environment, because some of the big law firms have laid off a lot of people, um, some somebody who might be a real catch that would be interested in joining a smaller firm in a different environment, different culture, as we mm -hmm. talked about earlier. That word flexibility just keeps coming up <laughs> in this interview. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. What about your firm? Is it, uh, when you talked about earlier strategic planning and business planning, uh, is your firm today where you thought it was going to be three years ago, five years ago, looking forward to 2020? Yes, it is. But again, we are 
you know, we're, we're planners. We, we try to take a look at where we need to be. And we're ultimately in a business where when you see a good draft choice, you try to take them. Even if, for example, um, you don't need that particular discipline, but this person is a very good person. They've got a good clientele and you think they'll fit into your culture well, and then you grab them and you make it work. And we've been pretty successful in doing that because we have grown this firm. I joined it in 2009, um, almost doubled its size by getting laterals. Okay? Now, we are also mm -hmm. hiring two uh, people right out of law school every year now because what we find is, and I've been doing this my entire career, you train them, um, you develop them, and then a big firm hires them away for an extra $40,000 a year. So that's what happens. That's the nature of the right. business. So you always have to be replenishing, replenishing your, uh, your professional group. Let me ask you a couple of questions that, that uh, aren't necessarily related to leadership or, or your firm. Just a couple of interesting questions I'd like to, I'd like to ask. When, when is it, when you're uh, speaking, and I know you speak a lot and you're in court and so forth, when do you not want to be interrupted? When do I not want to be interrupted? That's, that's a good question. I, I think when I'm trying to explain a complex matter, and, I, and if I have to keep stopping to, to address somebody else's pet peeve because they want to know how this particular thing impacts their particular situation, I have in presentations, I've told somebody, you have to stop asking questions. If you want, us to, if you want me to discuss these personal things that you keep bringing up, see me afterwards because you're interfering. I, I do it nice. I do it just the way I just did it here. But if I'm trying to make 300 people happy, I've got one person who wants to focus in on their specific thing. I don't want to be interrupted. So mm -hmm. they do it once, I let them. They do it twice, then I shut them down because you have to because you're, <laughs> you're, now you're penalizing yeah. the rest of the audience. Okay? And we've all seen people who want to monopolize it and want to pick my, not my brain for their particular uh, set of facts, and the other 299 people in the room don't care. Right, right. Jim, you've been a lawyer for a long time. Was there ever a time in your career uh, where you would have considered a career change? And if so, what, what other interests do you have that, that might have been able to lure you away from practicing law? I helped a group of owners um, do a split-up. It was called a Section 355 tax-free split-up. And they needed legal help then after they did their own thing. Okay? And I flirted with the idea uh, of becoming an actual business person. In other words, I would be like a CEO of an operating company. Um, and because a lot of my clients have described me for years to potential new clients that Jim is a business person first. He makes business decisions, couches his response to you in the context of your business decision, your business reality, and finds out what your business is before he gives you legal advice because he says the legal advice isn't much good unless you understand the underlying business transaction. So I at one th point thought that I might become a CEO of what you and I would now know today, David, as a private equity group because mm -hmm. I worked with those groups. And, and at some measure, that's what I'm doing now. I, I'm helping people buy and sell companies, but I'm doing it as their lawyer. I'm not doing it as the CEO. Right. No, I, that makes some sense. Of course, you have to be a business person to uh, run the, the business of your law firm as well. Right. Um, 
one last question, Jim. Um, what kinds of things do you like to do when, when you're not at work and you're not serving clients uh, in, your, in your spare time? I'm an avid golfer. Um, uh, my wife and I play golf uh, a lot. Uh, we travel a lot. When we travel, we play golf. Actually, truth be known, she's a better golfer than I am. <laughs> okay. In fact, as we're speaking, this is her fifth or sixth day in a row that she's played golf. Um, but she's uh, she's very good at it. I love golf. Um, I also uh, like to exercise. I've always been into exercising, and for me, it's like therapy. And I people ask me read books. No, I listen to books on tape. You know, when I work out, but I don't read books because I read for a living. So reading books yeah. is not recreation to me. But listening to books when I'm working out is is delightful. I love it. And then I've got two granddaughters, David, which you know, are the, you know, apple of my eye. They only live a mile and four tenths from us, so I see them virtually every day. That's great. That's great. Excellent. Well, Jim, it's been a real pleasure uh, talking with you today and having you as a as a guest. And I want to thank you for uh, taking the time uh, to give us some of your perspective on your law firm and leadership and so forth. So thanks a lot, Jim. David, it was absolutely my pleasure. I appreciate it. FSP Talks was brought to you by the Society of FSP and FSP Go.